All right, Tom, we're live. Live with Tom Ferry, number one coach in the world for real estate. Tom, how you doing today? I'm doing excellent, Matt. Thanks for having me on your show. Man, it's an absolute honor to have you on my show. Um, been watching you for years. Obviously, been coached by you and your team for a few years now. Uh, so to have you on my level 10 conversations is a ton of fun. So I've been looking forward to this. Know you're a busy man, so I want to honor your time. Uh, so we're going to jump right in here. But real quick, just as a couple people log on, how's the golf game, man? I haven't played golf with you yet. So how's it How's it looking? Uh, so I <laughs> thank you. I I was trending towards uh, getting to a 10 on my index. I would say that based upon I mean, I, mean, I probably played three or four rounds since COVID. Uh, and I think my new index might be 15. So, so the good news is, uh, I guess it's going to be better for my betting. How about that? There, there you go. Short yeah. games, the first to go always, but totally. well, cool. well, let me introduce you, Tom. So Tom Ferry, for those of you uh, watching this, many of you know who Tom is. You've heard me talk a lot about Tom and his organization. Uh, Tom is legitimately the number one real estate coach in the world and has been for many years in a row. Uh, best-selling New York times, uh, best-selling author. Um, has, I think I looked at it last night, Tom, a few few hundred thousand subscribers to your YouTube channel, yeah. put out a lot of incredible content. Uh, even if you're not in real estate, just listening to Tom's business principles, business building principles, mindsets, uh, just entrepreneurial mind, anything, Tom, you're just a huge asset to so many people. So uh, it's an honor. And I guess let me sum it up this way. In honor of the last dance, and I'm a huge Bulls and Jordan fan, yeah. you're like the Phil Jackson of real estate, man, right? Dude, I'll take that every day. <laughs> and just for the record, so I was named number one coach uh, in North America, but I do have a lot of, we have clients all over the world, but you know, you, you gotta, you gotta leave me. I gotta have that goal. I gotta keep striving to. Uh, hey, I'm a realtor. You want to, you want to hear me describe a strip view in Las Vegas? I'm a realtor. So <laughs> <laughs> if you can see the stratosphere needle, you got a strip view in Vegas. So absolutely. Uh, but Tom, you, you're what I would call, I've told you this before, but uh, in my life, there's only a couple who I would consider level five leaders, as John Maxwell describes it. Uh, you're one of those, brother. Uh, so um, I know you understand what that means when I say that, but truly a leader who develops other leaders. And that's exactly what you do uh, better than anybody I know. So first question I have for you, Tom, is I would be remiss to not ask you on Level 10 Conversations, which is a spinoff of my Real Life at Level 10 series. Yeah. For somebody who says level 10 all the time, your slogan you use a lot is level 10, no apologies. Yep. What does that mean when you say that? So the the origin story of that, I was writing, a, or I, I'd finished my second book called Life by Design. And it was, it was, a, it was a, a pivotal moment in my life. I was landing in New York City after taking a red eye. Uh, my writing partner is very famous, has written something like 55 books. Uh, at that point, I think it was like 40 and all had been New York Times bestsellers. And probably like anybody else, I, I just was in a massive state of doubt. And, you know, oh my goodness, if, you know, kind of as a skier, have I gone too far over my skis? Like, you know, did, is this the right move? I was, I was actually doubting a lot of the work. And even though I had that day, five meetings with, you know, I mean, the biggest publishing companies in New York City, and they were all excited. And every one of them said, we're, we want to bid on your book. Like it was a, it was actually like a taking a great listing and lots of buyers wanted. I was in that situation, but I was in a state of doubt. And I called at that time uh, a woman that I had worked with as 
she was coaching me. I was coaching her. It was one of these very mutual uh, business sort of relationships. And I said to her, I'm just feeling nervous. And she was like, listen to me. She says, I want you to walk into every one of those meetings at level 10. And now I'd heard that phrase a million times before, but there was something about that, that moment when she said, I want you to walk in those meetings at level 10 with no apologies. You're Tom Ferry. You've earned this. Go be that guy. And I was just like, it just, it struck me like the, the sort of metaphorical lightning bolt, if you will, that, you know, whether it's the religious moment of, oh, I got it, or that business moment of certainty. And, and the fascinating part is in the book, I never actually talked about level 10, but every talk I gave 300 radio interviews, you know, I, I didn't even remember how many, you know, book tour, you know, events that I had done. It was a gazillion. And every one of them, what I talked about was being at level 10, being your very best. It's you versus you. It's not you versus your neighbor. It's not you versus the other business in your town on your gravestone. I wanted to say that the dash of your life, you gave it everything you had. And, and, that's what she instilled in me that day. Like it was just, I mean, as I talk about it right now, I got like truth bumps. I mean, it's a, it's the reminder that life is really short. Right. Life is really short. And a lot of people take this, this, the dash, again, if you never read that poem, the day you're born, the day you pass, they take that dash and they just waste it. And I, you know, I've never been one to, to want to do that. But that moment for me was, you know what? Life is short. Mentors of mine have passed away. Family members have passed away. Uh, one of my best friends on the planet committed suicide when I was 15. And you, you start to look at the experiences of life and you do realize, you know, in this giant universe on this huge planet with seven and a half billion people, I'm just one dude. But that one dude, if he cleans his own room, cleans his own house, cleans up his own street, maybe cleans up his own city, could maybe become the number one coach in the U.S. and then maybe in the world, right? That's level 10 for me. I love it. And the no apologies. Of course, I've, I've worn the shirt and the hat and my, my kids would ask me, but I use that opportunity to speak to my son specifically about the, the no apologies, meaning that it's not a disregard for what people, how they feel. It, it's not a disrespect to them. It's just their opinion of you does not define who you are. Yeah. So yeah. you know, be you with no apologies, not a disrespect or disregard, but there's yeah. a difference there. So I love it, man. But I will um, tell you, I talked about Michael Jordan earlier, like, you know, on the battlefield, it's okay to be like, hey, I'm going to disrespect. You look at like the great, I mean, we're, I got Kelsey over here and we're just talking about uh, the late Kobe Bryant, who you know, I got, you know, pretty close to before he passed and he was ruthless until he didn't need to be. He got off the battlefield and he was a dad and he was, you know, he was a husband and he was, you know, a cool, uh, you know, cool guy in the gym. So, you know, the thing I want to stress about the no apologies, what it really is about is not buying into the opinions of other people, not letting the opinions of others dictate your path. That's really what it's about because, you know, look at, look at the world we're in today, say the wrong thing and you can get fired right? Do the wrong thing and you can get fired, right? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a challenging time, yeah. right? But again, it's about knowing who you are. It's about understanding your values. And it's not about trying to hurt anybody. That's not, I mean, certainly not the way I roll, but I'm not going to let the opinion of someone I don't know, right? Send me a tweet or say something and, and buy into it, alter my vision for my life. 
You with right. me? I'm not trying to do anything to hurt anybody. I'm trying to be the best me I can be. But that does upset people. Sure, sure. No, I, I love it. Totally agree with you. So let's talk leadership for a minute, Tom. Leaders, I'm sure you would agree with me. Leaders are not, we've, we're coming out of a crisis. You know, praise God, we're coming out of a crisis, I believe, with COVID, not heading back into it again, we sure hope. But uh, leaders are not created in crisis. Un, you know, with, amongst popular belief, they're created. I don't believe that's the case. I think leaders might be forged during crisis. Leaders lead. Yeah. What have you of a leader, what have you learned about leadership over these last few months? Because it's it's been something that in your career you've never experienced before. So what have you learned as a leader? You know, um, my I go back to one of my great mentors who you've heard me talk about, a guy named Mike Vance, who, uh, who you know, was like the last nine years of Walt Disney's life. He was his right hand. He launched Orlando. He was the first dean of the Disney University. Um, a lot of things we still love about Disney today, you know, he had his hands on. And then he mentored a guy named Jack Welch, who we all, you know, God bless him, passed away, right? Uh, and then he he mentored Steve Jobs all the way up until the day that Steve really passed away. And then they just you were friends. And uh, and and to to counteract, imagine when he mentored me, we would talk. And then the next day he talked to Jack Welch and the next day he talked to Steve Jobs. And then at least every 90 days, he talked to Mother Teresa, right, who he was super close to. So this man had extraordinary perspective. And, you know, like I, I joke, I remember being with him in uh, in Miami one day. And we were at, I forget the, like, like the chart house restaurant or something. And there was a, a, a salad bar. And I said, didn't you invent this? And he said, yeah, you're welcome. Like <laughs> invented the salad bar. Like think, think about that. Like, you know, he said, Walt Disney called him the most creative man on the planet. And my, my point to you is this, he said to me regarding leadership, you know, look, you can read a lot of books. You can, you can study a lot. You can do all that stuff. But basically until you get punched in the face several times, like that's what he, like, he said, you, it's hard, Tom, to learn from experiences you're not having, right? So when I reflect back on, on my life as a leader, I mean, for me, it started when I was six years old. My, my mom was sitting on the bed. I mean, it was clear as day. We're in Chaucer Lane in Huntington Beach, California. My older brother, Matthew, who you know, was standing across from me. And my mom hung up the phone and said, your dad and I are getting a divorce. Your dad's leaving us. And I remember as clear as day. And I watched my older brother start to cry. And I said, I'll help. Right now, I don't know, it's talking with my mom about it. She's like, I remember that as clear as day. She's like, you know, like, all right, you get the crock pot and throw the beanie weenies in and, you know, like typical, you know, mid seventies life. But, but I knew even then that like, I didn't know how to lead. I just put myself into it. Right. Then you make all the mistakes and you, you know, you hire the wrong people and you say the wrong thing and you do the wrong thing and you make the wrong, but all of that makes up the fabric of who you become as a leader. So during COVID, I don't want to say it was easy, but I did have the unfair advantage that my COO at the time was a dear friend. She was born and raised in Beijing. So, so we were watching in December. We were watching in January. We were watching in February. And you know, one of my closest friends runs basically 25,000 agents in Europe. So we were seeing it hitting Europe and we're like, it's coming, right? It's going to hit us. So we immediately were like, okay, how do we need to adjust? First and foremost, safety. Secondly, how do we keep the business moving forward? Which means how do we keep our clients moving forward? How do we keep our team safe? And then how do we make sure that we, we innovate during this time because the world's gonna shift and, and you saw it, I lived through it. It was the digital transformation of our work and home life. Oh yeah. 10 million people on Zoom and two weeks later, 200 million people were on Zoom, right? So I think you know what, what 
not my words, but what great leaders do is they see things as they are. They don't make them better. They don't go Pollyanna, but they also don't make them worse than they are, right? They don't make them worse. They, when you're communicating, you're like, hey, this is what's going on. Here's what's happening. Here's what we're going to do about it. You don't say, oh, it doesn't exist. You know, COVID, right. oh, don't worry about it. We're, we're safe here in, in Vegas. And you also don't say the whole world's over. We're all going to die, right? Leaders have that tendency to keep things very calm. And that's that was only from experience of, you know, making the mistakes and panicking in the moment. I feel like you just described the being a lion versus a sheep, right? Just like you were telling all us for a few weeks. Right. That was the, remember the, I was trying to give you guys early visual metaphors, mm -hmm. right? Which is a powerful way for, you know, when you're trying to communicate to, you know, millions of people, like imagine lion versus sheep, which one are you going to be, right? The lioness protects, the lioness goes out and hunts, right? She takes care of her business. He takes care of his business. The sheep, you make a little noise and they're running like crazy. We can't, we can be that. Not as leaders, not as husbands, not as wives, not as children, as, as, you know, family members, as business people, we got to lead. Love it, man. So talking about, you know, the transition that we had to go through a pivot, most of us had to do in our business. You yeah. coined the phrase largely with the organ, the program you guys rolled out. Yeah. So from an outsider's perspective, you took this pivot program and from an outsider's perspective, we went, it went from zero to a hundred like yeah. overnight. In so six days. How, say that six <laughs> days? Six days. We did it in six days. How do you pull that off in six days? And then I would love to hear your perspective of the results or outcome from that. So for the people that don't have contacts, I, you know, I'm, I have 185 business coaches in about seven different countries uh, that do the vast majority of our work. So I'm surrounded by very talented people and a lot of resources to say, hey, what do you all think? Right. So that's an important element. I don't I don't make decisions or or drive you know, results and behavior in a silo. I get opinions. I listen. I get feedback. Then internally, I've got, I'm blessed. I have an amazing executive team and management team, you know, sales and ops and engineering. And I said, okay, the world's in crisis. We don't have to be. Our job, and I remember like, if I walked in over there where my office is, it says, you know, well, oh, I lost my chips too. We are in business to help professionals achieve their greatness and we hold them accountable to those standards. That's what we do as a business. So I said, okay. We just have to do it this way. And I literally just, you just take all the projects that are on the shelf, everything that everybody's working on. And I basically said, none of that matters. Stop. Everybody focus on this. We're going to do, I, the original vision was we're going to do two trainings a week. We'll invite all of our clients to come on and we'll talk about the digital transformation. We'll talk about how do you market message during these times. And, and let's, let's, let's keep our clients moving forward. And we'll do some mindset stuff because they're going to they're going to struggle. We'll do some technology stuff because they need to learn it. And, you know, we in six days, we put it together and then we announced it. And I think for the first seven or eight weeks, we did five shows a week. We promised two and we did five because we also recognized, And I think everybody knows this, that when you're in a situation like this, you got to provide a lot of value, right? And you have to also recognize that everybody's in a different place in their life. And in my case, they're in a different place of their business where you, because you're, you know, you're running this wildly successful team, you know, you've got a set of challenges that are different from, you know, the woman that I'm coaching who's in New York city, who has two small children and she's single 
and she's a, you know, a solo agent. She's got different issues. So we just said, we got to try and cover the full spectrum of issues to move everybody forward. Right. You know? So that's, you know, maybe just, you know, from a, a business standpoint, but you can't be all things to all people. I do though believe fundamentally business is about delivering more value than, than it's expected. And it's also understanding what are your clients pain points and can you deliver on them? Can you help them? And if you can't, can you bring it as you saw me do bring in outside perspective, right? Outside experts to say, let's talk about mindset with Jim quick, or let's bring in Dr. Daniel Amen and talk about, you know, the, the mental side, the brain side of all this stress and what we can do, or Pam, our nutritionist, you start to pull in all these resources because at the end of the day, business is delivering value. That's what it's all about. No doubt about it. More value than people expect or more value than they feel like they're paying for. Right. So love it. Um, let's talk perspective, Tom. So right now a mentor of mine, great friend of mine was on this same conversation a couple of weeks ago and shared that this, this pandemic we've been walking through is really almost like a hard reset on your iPhone. It's like a chance to reboot yes. where we really have a chance to get a fresh perspective, you know, from an eagle eye view, if you will, on yep. our rhythms and routines. What's most important to us is our day ordered around the things most important to us or is it just included into our day. Yeah. How has your perspective been challenged or changed in the last few months? And then a, a follow up to that is what are you learning about yourself right now? Um, the, the, it's interesting. So my wife and I were literally in this conversation this morning, you know, I'll be married 27 years in October and I've married my wife three times and never got divorced. Uh, I just find that if you just keep, uh, romancing all the time, it makes it better and last longer just in, in my experience. Um, but we're in this dialogue and, you know, she said to me very candidly, she's like, baby, you need to take a break. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. She's like, no, no, no. Listen to me. I love you. You need to take a break. Because what she knows about me is I have a tendency to thrive in chaos that that sort of the bigger the problem, the more excited I get. And I don't know if that's just because of 35,000 hours of coaching experience and starting multiple companies and consulting for companies that have gone public or have or have fallen apart and died and and everything under the sun. So what I've really learned is like I do operate best under that kind of pressure. But what I also understand is I will run myself at times to exhaustion and then I'm good for no one. I'm not good for me. I'm not good for my team. I'm not good for my two sons that are 19 and one turns 21 on Monday. Like, right. And, and my lovely wife and my mother-in-law is 93 that lives with me. That, that it's that constant realization that, that we, you know, right. You know, cause you live in the same as I do. We're bucket fillers. Like we're constantly filling up everybody else's bucket. That's what leaders do sort of metaphorically. We're the gas station. They come in Matt, and we're like, okay, get back out there. You're ready to go. But if you don't stop and fill up your own bucket, that's where you get in trouble. Right. And I saying to my wife, I didn't, I didn't work out like, you know, this morning and I feel horrible and like, it's, you know, it's Friday and I want to finish, you know, today strong. And that even just that admitting that bugs me. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. So, so I think it's the, I think it's that realization and, you know, this, this will pass because I can remember when 9-11 happened and, and everyone said, no one's going to live in the downtown financial district and everybody's going to leave. And, and I was working with agents that were all over the world and everybody, no one was going to fly. Remember, no one was going to fly ever. But, you know, as a, as a society, as a race, as a, you know, humans, 
we do move through things. Sure. Right? We do move through things. And, and the pandemic side will end. And when it does, right, the question I have is, can I maintain the intensity? You with me? Because I like I like the intensity. I like the I like the challenge. You with me? Yeah. I know it's probably horrible because it's a it's a massive uh, issue in my own head. You're making me think of Jim Rohn. I love Jim Rohn's teachings, but he talks about God's creation in Genesis. Yeah. What's a bigger project than creating the world? But six days labor, one day rest. Right? Jim Rohn. It, it, it's simple. It's you know. So why yeah. do we try and reinvent the wheel? Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, all right, another question for you. This is right up your alley, Tom. We are moving out of this season, thankfully. So now it's time to start talking about getting into action. Yeah. What would you say to people right now on some quick tips on how do we get into action when so many people maybe have slipped into comfort, a little bit of, uh, you know, just relaxation? How do we get into action? Yeah, I mean, look, if I was talking to, you know, uh, people in housing, real estate agents, escrow title, mortgage, you know, um, or any entrepreneur, because I talked to so many, you know, friends of mine that are either in software or, you know, I'm part of a spirits company, right? Like, you know, even then, like, remember we, so here we have this incredible spirits company, but all the bars are closed, everything is, you know, what do you do, right? And now things are sl slowly opening up and we're, I'm having to reactivate with my partner, that sales team that, Hey, it's time to get back out there. So it's always the same. You ready? It's also almost the end of the first half of the year. This is the time when we got to stop and pause and say, okay, what, what happened in the first six months, right? There was your life before COVID BC, there was DC during COVID and now there's today. So, what lessons did you learn in the last six months? Just get present to it. Don't beat yourself up. Don't overinflate yourself. Just, just what happened? And then here's the $64,000 question as the old game show goes. What are you committed to between now and the end of the year? And, you know, Matt, you know, I do a show that goes out every week. Uh, I think it's the two weeks from now. I'll, I'll do essentially that. Let's break down what happened. And then let's decide what you want to do going forward. And, you know, for my friends that are in the real estate space, let me remind you, if you're living in the U.S., we're about to have a pretty tumultuous uh, presidential election. You basically, if you're in sales, right, in real estate or in mortgage, maybe mortgage a little bit less, but still, you got June through around October 15th. And then traditionally, not so much in Vegas because of the seasonality of your market and similar to mine, but most of the country has anywhere between a nine to 18% drop in real estate transactions because of the, the non-seasonality, right? The cold season, et cetera, right? Not Florida, not Vegas, not Arizona, right? Et cetera. We know it's even better there, but we're going to have a slowdown and there's going to be some, there's going to be a lot of, uh, of anger and upset and excitement and psychological torment. It's kind of the last, you know, couple of weeks of October into the, the election. So I'm telling a lot of my clients get everything done between now and October right? That like literally you might need to go back to your spouse or your kids or your team and say, I got July, August, September, October, four months. I'm going to do more in four months than I did the previous six, because it's a moment in time. It's a window that if you're in business, you see the demand. Again, I know we're talking specifically real estate here. The demand right now is incredible. Now I know in Vegas, it's different because of unemployment, but we also now are going to see because who's coming back. It's the hotels, it's the restaurants, it's the bars. And that's a big factor for, you know, cities like Vegas. And right? all of your 
Ubers are moving to Vegas. <laughs> and and California is talking about adding all kinds of fun new taxes associated to COVID. So yeah, guess what? You know, we've already seen the exodus over the last two decades. Talking with my clients in Texas, I'm like, they're coming. <laughs> get get ready. So you know, I guess the the simple answer is. Um, Go home today, grab a dry erase pen and on your bathroom mirror, write down the five or six things that are an absolute must achieve for you between now and October 15th. And then if you're married like me, I always go and say, hey, baby, this is what I'm committed to. And I kind of give her like the pinky promise, like I need some permission to really get after this because we got a four month window here. And, you know, we make that agreement and same thing with my boys and, you know, and, you know, like that's what you got to do because it's a short amount of time and you got to hit it hard. Got it. Love it. All right. Last question. Then I got a quick rapid fire for you after this. So, you know, that my team in Vegas, Tom, we're all in on client experience. Um, yeah. We're passionate about it. You talk about the experience economy uh, and you're the, that's the first time I heard that term is when you shared it probably a couple of years ago. Yes. Speak to that for just a moment. And then also what do you see the buyer and seller of the future what are their demands what do they expect what in light of that experience economy and you want me to do that in three minutes or less oh man all right so the first thing i would tell everybody is to google the phrase omotenashi omotenashi is the japanese phrase for exceptional client experience and if you've not been to japan uh, i have so much respect for their culture the precision the organization the process the beauty the artistry but it's all very intentional matt it's very intentional. And I, I know you as a business person have that same belief. So the experience economy was actually a book written several years ago uh, where the author basically said, look, a coffee bean has a certain economic value. But if I take that coffee bean and I put it into my house where I can blend it, that has another value. But if I take it and I put it at Dunkin' Donuts, that has another value. But somehow if I put it in a Starbucks cup, it almost has an exponential value. You know, the, the actual cost of coffee is pennies, but I gladly pay $4.90 for a triple maca laka waka lula at Starbucks. So I think part of that is the experience that consumers expect because we're so used to that now, right? We're used to exceptional experience. But here's the second part. Think about Amazon, right? What Amazon has done, and this is to me the future of real estate transactions, is they've removed all the friction from the process. I believe in the next three to four years, you'll buy a house or you'll begin negotiating. Your agent will give you an app or there'll just be a universal app. And I'll literally go on the app and no different from when I go Uber and I see who my driver is, what they're all about. I can call them. I can cancel it. Right. I can say I want the air on. I want the music playing. I don't want you to talk to me. I want to have a conversation. You and Uber like you can set all these settings. I think a real estate transaction is going to look a little more like that. And Matt, you know, when you actually open up an escrow and now the client has like, there's just all this uncertainty. What's going to happen next? How do I do it? What do I need to do? And then all of a sudden the, the mortgage person calls and says, ah, I need all this stuff really fast. And, you know, the, everybody's sort of on pins and needles. I think the future is all going to be inside an app and it's going to look a whole lot like the map of Google. And it's going to be earmarking all the things that the buyer and seller need to do to have an effortless transaction right? It's all about removing friction. It's all about making it easier. And listen, Asia, automation and AI, 
I think you're going to make a, a major play there. And I, Asia meaning outsourcing, you with me? That we can outsource some of the mundane. We can use automation to make the process easier and more natural. And then hopefully we can use AI that is getting ahead of the concerns or the worries or the questions or the fact that the agent didn't follow up or the loan officer didn't reach out in a timely manner. It's all about making it better for the customer. That's the whole game. So I mean, I, you know, I could talk for about seven and a half days on that subject in terms of more detail, but, uh, and I don't think we're that far off. No, I don't either. And I can talk all day about that too. So I, I love it. Thanks for sharing. All right. Rapid fire. What is your favorite restaurant in Las Vegas? Uh, my dad's house. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. Yeah. I yeah. love it. Love it. Uh, best or favorite round of golf you've ever played? Uh, my own club club championship. I shot 89, which was horrible. And I lost the, the, I wasn't in the championship, but it was the club championship. And I got my first and only hole in one. And unlike most clubs where you like, you get a set of shoes and everybody buys you a drink. If you get a hole in one at my club, you have to buy everyone drinks. Yeah. So it was a very memorable and expensive experience. So my one and only hole in one, by the way, is hole 17 at Pebble beach. Oh, not a, not a bad place to get one. Okay, I want to honor your time. Hey, hold on. I got to tell you another one then. It's because just golf. Ready? I'm on uh, St. Andrews, right? Hole number one. I'm with three of my closest friends, and I'd never been there before. This is, it was totally magical. And I said, you know what? I got to FaceTime my dad right now because he's the one that helped us set up the trip. He knows all the peeps, right? So I FaceTime him, Matt, and I literally go, hey, dad. I go, look where I'm at. And right? And I show him, right? And he goes, Hey, look where I'm at. He's at Augusta National. Oh. <laughs> and we both parred number 13, if you know what that means, at, at Augusta National and at the old course. That actually is an even better experience. Oh, wow. Living life. But Augusta and St. Andrews at the same time. That's not a bad uh, family they, life. Boys, yes. Um, do you miss selling real estate personally? It's the last question. Do you miss the daily grind? No? I have so much grind in what I do. Like, I'm doing exactly like, – I got very clear, coaching, creating, connecting, and contributing. That's what I'm best at. And I've aligned my entire life and career around doing those four things. Love it. All right. So Tom, best way for people to follow you. Uh, we're going to throw up your Instagram handle and your YouTube channel. Anything else that you'd recommend? No, I mean, if you Google me, you know, if you Google me, you'll find me. I promise. I, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and been digital since, YouTube 2007, Instagram when it opened 2011, 12, Facebook way back in the day. So put it this way, I had a MySpace account. I'll just go with that. <laughs> or Uga, which none of you know about. And I was even on Friendster. We won't throw up MySpace. Uh, and I'm sure we'll find you on TikTok soon enough. But um, and guys, get Tom's book. He's got two uh, incredible bestseller books. So you can find those on any platform, except they're sold out on your website, I saw. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Yep whatever. So you guys, we'll, we'll put those in the comments as well. Uh, but Tom, man, thanks for doing this. I appreciate your time. Um, yeah. and for everybody watching, this is a spinoff of Real Life at Level 10, where we discuss insights of leadership, real estate, and personal growth. Uh, I'm sure you got a ton of value from Tom. So please comment, share this content, subscribe to the podcast. And we'll look forward to continue trying to bring you guys value as consistently as we can. So uh, we'll sign off for now. Tom, thanks again. Thanks, and, brother. I'm going uh, right to a coaching session. So text me later. You got it, bro. Thanks, Tom. Bye. Take care, guys.